if you get a good tenant, they'll stay in there for a long time. And that's really very magical moment when that happens. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. Today we are going to be doing a live coaching call with a physician who is fits in the category of a lower net worth but a high salary. Definitely be on the road to being an accredited investor here in the next few years introducing uh, JP Kim, who took me up on the offer to record their coaching call, uh, which is still open for folks. And if you guys haven't uh, connected with me, please uh, sign up for the Investor Club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club and uh, reach out. Miss Kim, thanks for doing this. I want you to give folks a little bit of a quick background on, you know, where you've kind of been doing the last 20 years of your life. The last 20 years? Okay. (laughs) Well, I I, um, I'm, I was a non-traditional uh, medical student, so I decided to go into medicine, enter medical school in my late 20s, and then I graduated from med school after five years, and then I did my residency training. I got out of um, training about five years ago, and then um, I've been working as a locum tenens traveling physician, um, seeing geriatrics patients um, in three different states, in California, Arizona, and Indiana. So I I've, uh, I started my job as a like a 1099 you know independent contractor physician. So I'm not I'm not a hosp- I'm not a hospital employee or a clinic employee. I'm um, considered an independent contractor person. So I um, I only get paid when I'm working. You know, there's no like paid time off or anything like that. Um, the company that I work for, um, luckily pays for my, um, travel. Like, so if I had to move to a different state, the airfare, um, the hotel accommodations, and then the uh, rental car expenses are all paid for. So as a single, um, person, it's, it's been a really exciting, um, journey in the past five years. <laughs> yeah. The money just keeps stacking up, right? I mean, yeah, low expenses. Yeah. I don't really have any expenses. So like, I don't have to pay for uh, my own primary residence mortgage or rent because it's all, you know, being paid for by my company. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have a car payment. I used to have a car that I sold because I don't use my my own car anymore. I I always get to use a rental car um, to drive around. So it's a, it's a very um, unique situation. But then uh, in about uh, four years ago, I, I started noticing that, you know, um, I'm only making money while I'm working. And, um, even though I like to travel and stuff, like what if something happened and I can't work anymore Then my income would stop coming in. So I had read, um, Robert Kiyosaki's book, um, rich dad, poor dad and the Cash Flow quadrant. And, um, it really made sense to me that like, I should start, you know, buying income producing assets that bring in positive, uh, passive income. So even when I'm not working, I still have um, enough income to, Um, pay for all my expenses so that I can maintain a good quality of life. So I started taking um, like the Rich Dad Education Seminar. Um, I started attending some of these um, conferences and I I hired some mentors um, who were really successful in real estate investing and um, learned that um, buying and holding cash flowing income properties is is the way to get started. I, I, I was initially in California when I was working um, in, in 2017. That's when I was going through all the real estate investment education. And I tried to buy um, 
a house there, but it was it was extremely very expensive and competitive to to get a good deal. So after trying for several months, um, I kind of gave up there. But then I started my fellowship at University of Arizona in Tucson. Um, so I, I, I would go to Tucson and I, I noticed that in, in, in Tucson, it was so much more affordable to buy houses there in comparison to California. So I thought, I thought okay, maybe I'll buy my first um, single family home um, in, in Tucson. So I just kind of found a property that was gonna cash flow. <laughs> um, and um, I got it under contract in, um, in late 2017. And then I closed on it using a conventional loan with 20% down in early um, early of 2018. And then I, I was able to find a, a property manager who could manage it for me while I'm, I'm traveling. And they found a tenant right away. And then so the tenant um, moved in um, and then they were paying down the mortgage. So it's been pretty good. And then right after that, I decided that I ha since I didn't have a primary residence, I learned that some people do house hacking. Um, so they, they can use an FHA loan, so a very uh, low down payment loan to purchase um, up to a fourplex. So um, you, can, you can purchase your primary residence uh, that can also be a rental property at the same time. So the, the rent, you can live in one unit and then rent out the other three units and have that rental income from the other three units cover for all your mortgage, um, your expenses. So that's what I pursued for the next um, few months after I closed on my first property in 2018. And this is all under the guidance. You, you had paid like quite a bit of money, right? For like co this coaching, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I I spent the entire like 2017 going to all these symposiums. Um, How much did you spend like through all this stuff? <laughs> if you I don't mind. Uh, about twenty six thousand dollars plus traveling fees. So I, I would say about like thirty grand on all the yeah. for that year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm actually kind of one of my missions is to kind of destroy these type of companies out there taking this money. I mean. I think you're fine. Like you, you had money to invest, so it kind of made sense. I mean, it's a starting point. Right, right. But a problem, like a lot of these guys, they cater towards people without any money, and you've kind of reached the the limits with them. Kind of where your net worth and earning potential is. Like a lot of these guys, like the best stuff they have for high paid working professionals is the house hacking thing or a quadplex. Which, you know, mm -hmm. I think as you're seeing as you kind of go through our group, I mean, it's it's the tip of the iceberg what the wealthy people are doing and they just don't have any insight into that type of world. Right, right. But because I had never bought a house before and I never owned any property before, I think it was a good learning experience just to know, just to get to know how you're qualifying for a loan works and how to, how to put it off. Right. And I think, you know, like the, just kind of your profile here, we have a lot of folks that are kind of in your category where um, lower net worth, kind of starting out in wealth building. Again, net worth of a quarter million dollars, and um, but very high earning potential. Um, your current active income is about twenty thousand dollars a month. So if you do the math, that's around you know quarter million dollars. I mean, most most doctors they're making over you know specialists especially they're making over three to five hundred thousand at least a year. Um, so a lot of this is, you know, I think you found us at the right time and uh, we'll, we'll get you to where you need, we'll, we'll, we'll take you from 25 miles an hour up to 70 pretty quickly here. Well, yeah, that's great. That's the point. <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> so um, here's the big question I ask a lot of people. So we have your net worth here. 
and then your active income is about you know a quarter million a year but you know with your expenses right now how how much do you actually stick in the bank every year how much of it do you not spend on like food or your lack of car you said um save a lot of money because i don't really um i mean i don't have kids yet i'm not married um and um, I don't have to spend money on utilities or car payment, like car registration fees or insurance. So um, I would say like maybe like 70, uh, like 80% of my monthly income I'm saving in the bank and then I'm using it towards um, either down payment for, uh, for investing or I'm using it for um, going to these networking events, conferences for real estate investing. I'm also in the process of learning how to build an online health business as well to build another stream of passive income so for that i need i mean i'm um, i'm pursuing like a, a mastermind group as well mastermind education so i basically i spend most of my money on 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 those things educational activities and self-development growth books courses just to get it sounds like it's you know 80 percent of a quarter million i mean you're able to put away 150 at least a year mm -hmm. which is phenomenal i mean i would say most people in our investor club some mm -hmm. of the beginners are at thirty thousand a year some of the ones that are a little bit better than most are about 50 a year mm -hmm. but i mean in theory you're able to buy one two three probably five turnkey rentals a year right which is phenomenal not saying i mean you wouldn't want anything to do with rental properties I mean, it's just not scalable for your, your, your earning power at this point, yeah. but I mean, just, it's just to kind of think After about that. The, yeah. So, um, owning the single required, um, for me to have a good property management company in place. And I had, I had to go through a lot of um, trials and errors doing that because the good ones, they got burnt out easily and they, they would quit after a few, <laughs> you know, a few months. And then I would get a new property manager on that I never had a rapport with. And then they would do something that would just, um, that wouldn't be in, in alignment with my, my investment goals. And then I've had a lot of turnover for my, with my, um, with every single one of my properties and that's been costing me a lot of money. <laughs> so I'm noticing um, it, it wasn't, I mean, it, it's so much headaches that I don't really feel like I, I want to pursue um, buying more, more, more of these, um, properties anymore by attending some of the uh, events where there's more um, seasoned real estate investors I learned that um, people with high net worth and you know billionaires they tend to invest in syndications they network with people who uh, find the really good deals so it's like a totally passive investment so you don't have to be so involved in managing your property manager so that you can just put, invest your money sign the sign the documents and then um, you just get your your cash flow and then your um your, your appreciation and then all the tax benefits coming in but without having to deal with those headaches so right um i just um learned about that in, in october 2019 by going to hawaii and that's where i met you lane right yeah. and um and then i learned about your um, syndication deal um so in in february 2020 right before the covid pandemic hit us, I, I invested my, you know, in my first syndication deal, which has been good so far, right? Yeah, yeah, checks are coming out here soon. <laughs> yeah, we, we had equity um, after we, right after we, we closed on the deal. So 
my goal for the rest of the year is to network with other syndicators um, and then just learn about these syndication projects. And I'm hoping that I can sell these, uh, the single family home and four, fourplex. Because um, luckily, um, the Tucson market has been pretty hot and the, the property values have gone up. And I've met with the um, with a realtor or a listing um, listing agent who who did um, who kind of did the uh, the comparative marketing uh, market analysis recently, and she says that I will be able to to sell those properties at, at a, a significant profit. So my goal is to sell those in the next um, within the next month or so, and then use the the gains to to participate in more syndication deals by the end of this year or, or early next year. Well, and, and a lot of, you know, I, I would say you're, you've got a lot of more time on your hand than the average uh, folk out there. So you're able to kind of go around and, you know, network a lot more, travel around to conferences, which is exactly what you need to be doing as a passive investor, since your network is your net worth. But for those of you guys listening, you know, that's why we have the Passive Investor Accelerate Mastermind. It's our online group of um, it's kind of a pay to pay program, but you know, it's the way of building relationships with those, um, you know, high net worth, mostly accredited investors to get deal flow that way and build relationships. JP, let's, you had some, um, you know, a few questions you had. I think the first one was like about student loans. Why don't you kind of go over like what you, what you were doing in that category up to now, and then we can kind of talk through the path forward there. Yeah, so when I was gra- when I graduated from medical school back in 2011, I had about uh, a little bit over $200,000 of student loans. You know, during residency, I was only paying off a little, like minimum amount <laughs> and it was only paying off a little bit of interest, so it kept on going up, growing and growing. So once I, you know, finished got finished with uh, residency training and started um, working as a local physician's, you know, making like six-figure income, I was paying off my loans. Back then, the loan payments, the monthly payments were over um, $3,000 a month. I thought it was kind of high. So um, by then, I had established better credit. My credit score went up. Um, so I, I checked in with um, some like student loan, private student loan companies, and they were able to refinance me at a, at a lower um, interest rate. So it, it was able. Um, I was able to lower my monthly payments down to twelve hundred and forty-eight dollars a month. What What did the rate go from? And then now it's what five point eight, right? Well, yeah. Initially, my my student loan rates were like eight point seven five percent when I came out of med school. So now I I refinanced down to like five point um, eight seven five percent. Were those um, first loans the higher rate ones were they like government subsidized or like kind of like a stafford loan or anything like that or were they just privatized they were government subsidized loans yes okay so i think i think that's there's a lot of these companies like sofi that will do it and, and we have some of the resources on my website that will do this for folks with a lot of student loans i'm a little skeptic though i mean i think i mean everything from the high level looks fine like the interest rate lowers and obviously that lowers the, the monthly payments. But what I'm concerned with, and I mean, what you've done already is done, it's over. But maybe if you guys are listening to this in the future, I think something to look into is, well, you're going from like a government subsidized loan to a privatized loan. 
I, I don't know. I mean, even if it's a lower interest rate, it may or may not be worth it. Um, but just something to think about if you guys are doing this in the future, um, if you guys are listening to this. But did you did you do any kind of research on that? I mean, I mean, you just kind of looked at the interest rate. I mean, you're going to pay it off anyway, I guess. It's just more about payment. Right. So I was debating if I should focus all my efforts on... Um, on paying off the student loan first before I jumping into real estate investment. But then when I hired the real estate um, mentor, um, she mentioned that um, dumping all that money into trying to pay off the student loan first is actually, it's, it's a sunken cost. Um, and cause if you, if you find good real estate investments then you can bring these income producing assets that will bring in more cash flow than the monthly payment or student loan payment. So even if I, if I were to not work, um, the, the income producing asset will pay for my student, pay down my student loans. And then when the student loans are all paid off, I'll still have those assets, right? Right, exactly. And, you know, kind of ex- for me to explain it in a different way, a lot of, um, you know, it's just an interest rate arbitrage mm-hmm. from a certain extent. So, I mean, I have an article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns where I kind of just break down the returns that you get from just a typical turnkey rental and you're, you're looking at 20 plus percent. I mean, 20% is greater than 6% here. So it's a no brainer, right? But, you know, most people aren't able to make more than eight to 10% in their, you know, crappy stock investments, right? So you can see why. For most people, it would make sense to pay off your your student loans or pay down your mortgage first. But I mean, it, maybe since I mean you've you've come to this uh, this realization, what was for you that kind of tipped the scale in your head that kind of get it? If you if you can kind of remind remember, just like kind of a lot of people are just on the fence, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's always an opportunity cost of doing something. So if you spend all your um, effort on paying off your student loans, that's going to delay being able to buy income producing assets. But if, like, like my mentor said, if I, if I'm able to buy an income producing asset that not only has good cash flow, but also appreciation and then the tax benefits, then that really trumps, um, you know, the interest rate of a student loan. So she was telling me just set, you know, refinance my student loans to the, the lower monthly payment. So you can always pay more if you wanted to pay sooner, but if you but if you keep your student loans at a you know higher monthly payment, um, what if something happens? So you lose your job, you get sick, you get you get into a car accident, then you can't make student loan payments, and you're more likely to default on it, right? And that that's bad on your credit. So she was telling me it's easier if you just kind of refinance it and minimize your monthly payments. And then if you feel like if you're making good money at certain points in your life through your cash flowing assets, then you can choose to make extra payments to pay down your principal and pay it off sooner. But like it, it just gives you more options to refinance it and minimize your pain, the, the obligations. Does that well, make sense? Well said, good doctor. Well said. <laughs> and and this kind of carries over also to the whole argument of do you do like a thirty year mortgage or a fifteen year mortgage, right? Like I mean, like you said, you in our camp we do the longest that we can, and if we choose to, we can pay it off. But debt elimination is not really correlated with uh, financial freedom. Um, but yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, delay your paying off your, your student loans as long as you can. Um, you know, a lot of people are doing, they do this like 10 year, you know, they work in like a low income area and they for, forgive all their student loans. Have you kind of looked into that option? 
Um, I looked into that option, but I also heard that if even if you get um, um, your loans forgiven, you get taxed on that amount. So you're going to have to pay a like lump sum of tax during during that time when you get forgiven, and it's really hard to qualify for that too. Yeah, I mean, I've heard people, you know, spending all that time doing public service, and then after after the term, they realize they didn't qualify. So. Been investing with AHP since 2017 to buy distressed mortgages and discounts to offer struggling families sustainable solutions to stay in their homes. When homes were vacant, AHP recognized that lenders frequently struggled as they tried to limit their losses. That's why owner George Dewberry founded Pre-REO, a platform that gets these vacant properties into the hands of local investors like us during the foreclosure process, which mitigates losses to lenders and accelerates returns for investors. A win-win. I'm very excited about this platform that connects local investors with court-appointed receivers in their area to cost-effectively repair, lease, and maintain and rent vacant homes during the foreclosure process and ultimately make a profit. I've been checking out local properties here in Hawaii and I think it's a great way to finally pick up my home to live in, even though I think homes to buy aren't probably the best. You can learn more about Pre-REO by going to simplepassivecashflow.com slash Pre-REO. Yeah, I, I've heard of this, this, these companies that they'll put your stuff in like an LLC and then they create a nonprofit and then what they're doing is they're going to um, show, give you like an excuse to write it off for a nonprofit for 10 years, which I think is kind of shady. Or you, you can create your own nonprofit and kind of do it. But that's like, you know, that's more, uh, more technical, I guess, than what we're looking to do. <laughs> But um, right. yeah, any, I mean, any other questions on the student loan thing or what's kind of the next issue at hand that you want to tackle? So um, I uh, different arguments about, you know, so my rental properties right now, I'm going through some turnovers because one of my tenant died. She was an old lady. She was really good paying tenant. And then now that she died unexpectedly um, in, in May, we're having to find a new tenant. We're dealing with like, you know, turning over the property. We are, of course, increasing the rents, but it's going to take—I don't know—maybe it's going to take maybe a few days or um, a weeks to return it over. There might be more maintenance issues. I'm kind of waiting for that call from my property manager about what's going to happen about the maintenance issues. So, is it really worth keeping those properties? Um, so, I'm, I'm right now. I'm deciding if I want to just sell them. My so what, which which property is this, or what's the what's the <laughs> monthly rents on this one? Or some people are telling me I should keep those rental properties because I have direct control over it. Because, you know, sometimes if you get involved in syndication deals, sure, it's passive, but you might lose control over your, your money. Which, which rental property are we talking about here? Just the 1200 a month one? Well, I, I was thinking about selling both. And yeah, uh, what, are, what are the rents now? The single family home brings in 1195 um, dollars per month of rent and then the mortgage is 860 um, and then the fourplex the rents are like $3,100 a month and the mortgage is $1,609 okay. so I mean just to kind of follow my logic here like with your net worth and your kind of your your high value and time as opposed to money I mean if you had like $60,000 property pieces of junk mm -hmm. um, I would say yeah unload it like yesterday, near single family home. It's it's probably it's a decent property, right? It's more of a B class property, and then 
you know, your duplex, and that's probably a lower class asset, but um, you know, I mean, it's there's de some decent scale on that thing. I would say, you know, right now you're you're kind of one foot in the syndication private placement world, and the other foot still in direct ownership, right? Mm -hmm. You, a lot of investors in my group, they're kind of doing very the same thing. Mm -hmm. At some point, and I think we could both agree, maybe in the next three, five. Certainly before, you know, you, you retire, you're going to be all in on the private placements and syndications. But look, I mean, you got to just, when you're comfortable, you know, you sell these assets, but I have no problem, you know, you kind of holding on to it a little bit longer, you know, if, if you have enough time, right? If, mm -hmm. if your life gets busier, then yeah, you unload them. But I wouldn't be buying more properties, you know what I mean? Like direct mm -hmm. ownership. And yeah, if somebody had the same situation, but they had like, lower class properties, more headaches. Yeah, I would try and unload them mm -hmm. as soon as possible. Does, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking into maybe selling the fourplex because um, the type of tenants that I've been attracting were like lower income people. And then we had to go, I mean, we had to deal with evictions, um, <laughs> which is not so cool. Yeah, and, and I get the feeling like just your personality, you kind of, I mean, you're not too bad, but you know, you stress out about this stuff a little bit, right? Like you, you, you're kind of a hands-on person in a way. No, I like to have a little bit of control over my properties, but at the same time, I, I didn't like, I, I really did not enjoy the hassle dealing with the eviction. Like my property manager, um, I mean, she was a new, pro new person that I never met before. So I had to kind of wait and see to see if we, if we had a rapport. Um, sometimes we had some conflicts and that, that caused a lot of, um, stress. So I'm kind of de debating if it's really worth having to deal with that situation anymore. So um, luckily, I, I will be making a lot of profit if I, if I were to choose to sell this in the next month or so. Because um, the Tucson market, they, they weren't really affected too much by the, the pandemic. I mean, their, their business are still operating and people are still working. So um, the tenants had been paying rent you know, a lot of people are still paying rent and um, they, they say the rental market is pretty hot these days. So they're able to find tenants right away, good paying tenants. So um, if the listing agent turns out that um, she's able to market the property really well, then I will be able to sell it at a pretty good price um, and then move that money over to doing more syndication um, in the future, you know? Yeah. So mm -hmm. what, I mean, I made this decision that I was going to, I was in one foot in syndication, one foot in my 11 single family home rentals mm -hmm. back in 2015, 16. Mm -hmm. And then in 2016, I kind of made that defining point. You know, I think in podcast 80, I think was that, was that point where I just, where I kind of made the decision. And for you, this could be three to six months from now, right? When you finally make the decision, it could be a year or two, mm -hmm. but I took, it took me all of 2017 mm -hmm. to sell, actually, or it's, yeah, 2018 to sell seven properties, mm -hmm. 2019 to sell two, mm -hmm. and 2020 to sell the remaining two. So you don't really need to sell this right away, but I would say maybe the best strategy for now, I don't, I don't, you know, you don't need to do something out of haste, but maybe put the duplex on the market and just let it sit there for whatever it takes, six months to two years and get your price that you want. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be 
that unmotivated seller and maybe do that the same thing for that single family home. I mean, with the single family home, what I would do is if the tenant, if you have a good paying tenant, those guys are gold. Maybe you haven't realized that yet because you know, people get it. They, they internally understand it after about a few years of rental property landlording. If you get a good tenant, they'll stay in there for a long time. And that's really very magical moment when that happens. But if you might have that in this property and, and if so, that's cool. But as soon as this current tenant moves out, what I would do is I would fix it up to go retail. So you might have to put in 10, 20, $30,000, but you're going to sell this to a nice retail buyer who's an emotional buyer who's going to pay, you know, potentially over 200, 250,000 for this thing. And that's your exit strategy. But, um, you know, that domino could, could topple six months from now, three, four years from now, we don't know, but your destiny is shaped in your decisions as Tony Robbins says, and yeah, you made the decision you're going to move to private placements, but you don't need to take the action on it now. Just let it, let it happen. Okay. But I think that's by doing that strategy, you're able to extract the most amount of dollars out of it. And look, I mean, there's still good rental properties or cash flowing for you. I, I would say the other question I had that maybe in, may impact this decision is how much liquidity do you have right now? Like how much dry powder do you have to invest? Should a deal come up, you know, next month in a, in a syndication deal? I'm just looking. Do you have that number kind of at the top of your head? How much liquidity, liquidity. you have to go? Mm -hmm. Well, assuming that I'm, I'll be continuing to work. Um, I, I mean, luckily my job, um, I mean, I didn't really get impacted so much uh, with the COVID-19. I know a lot of doctors got furloughed and we had to stop working. But for me, I was doing telemedicine. I had consistent income, so I still made money and I'm, I'm still going to be working. Um, I'm still working. So I will continue to have $20,000 $20, per month. Yeah, and you're saving, what, 80% of that. Amazing. So, right. But, but currently, I'm just, I mean, looking at some of these accounts, mm -hmm. I mean, it looks like you have, not including your self-directed Roth, which you can take that out tax-free, because you already paid the taxes and penalty free on the con on the contributions but you know you probably have about 100 grand of liquidity so that's enough to go into two deals at 50 grand mm -hmm. i mean until you burn through that i wouldn't i see no reason for you to unload these two rentals i mean maybe if you had no liquidity mm -hmm. then it would be, you'd be a little more motivated but yeah just you know this is where your your uh, lazy equity is not doing anything. Get that working first before you you get this stuff working. Oh, and okay. for the amount as much money you're able to save, mm -hmm. you may never run out of liquidity, <laughs> which is a cool place to be. Yeah, but it's assuming that I'm still healthy, that I never get coronavirus infection, you know, and I'm still you know working at my hundred percent capacity. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, you're, you're kind of amazing because most doctors I come across, they have this false sense of security where they think that, well, they make so much freaking money, right? And they never think to invest outside of the normal financial plan or stocks. I mean, it's good that you're investing in this stuff, but you're very unique, right? Well, I, I made that mistake during residency. So I, what, what I did was that I did contribute to my 401B during residency training. And um, the residency uh, director um, had some some GL advisor 
like some company who was like a financial manager um, company for, for physicians. They came and gave a presentation and they talked about how they can manage the doctor's money because the doctors are so busy. Doctors don't yeah, have any which is a complete scam. Um, usually these guys get kickbacks for that. And right. So I actually hired them to manage my money. And what happened um, during those, during those several years that I was in residency, they were managing my money. I, I would maximize my contribution to my Roth IRA, um, 401B and everything. And then they were, they were investing that into like mutual funds, but like the money wasn't growing, you know, except for me contri contributing. <laughs> and, then, and then like towards the end, um, like after like a, a year after I, I um, got out of residency, all of a sudden I found out that that company was prosecuted because they were, they, they were caught um, frauding with the investor's money. So they, they totally like went out of business and all of a sudden my, my um, 401B money and then my Roth IRA account money was left without a manager, without a financial manager. And I was like, holy crap, what am I supposed to do? And I had no knowledge about finances. So that's when I like started reading, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Game. And then that's when I started scrolling through Facebook to look for um, information about real estate investing. And then when I wow. went to the seminars, that's when I learned, oh, you know, with mutual funds and stocks, you really don't have any control over your money, right? And then you can't take it out until you're a certain age. Whereas real estate, you can, you can really find the right cash flowing investments and start making money right now, start making cash flow right now that's generating passive income that can cover for my student loan payment. So that's the, that's the route that I t took after, I, after making that huge mistake. But luckily, um, during that time, we just kept it at, you know, at the same amount, <laughs> what I contributed. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an amazing story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know, where's your, where's your headspace on it? I mean, in, in hindsight, that was probably the best thing to happen at the time, right? I guess so. You know, you live and learn, right? Yeah. I mean, so many doctors out there that are just totally still believing in the Easter bunny and the tooth fairy is going to give them money after the 401k is going to work, right? That, you know what? Like a lot of doctors, you know, when they were hit by COVID, they're, they're realizing we, um, everyone's just kind of in a panic mode right now. We're like learning how to invest and generate other, you know, multiple streams of passive income. So a lot of doctors are getting into the investing mode right now, like outside of stocks and mutual funds. Yeah. Uh, realize like our job is no, no longer secure anymore and like the way like the hospital administration treated a lot of doctors like furloughing doctors and cutting arbitrarily cutting their salaries to like you know by half um a lot of private practice doctors you know they the, the doctors like orthopedic surgeons or neurosurgeons or you know plastic surgeons they a lot of they make all their money through elective cases and they're not able to operate their business and they they still have to pay their employees you know, um, you know, fixed salaries, but they, they don't have any revenue coming in because of the COVID-19. And now they're all realizing, oh, you know, we're not, no longer high income earners anymore, you know, during this pandemic. So I think a lot of doctors are scrambling right now to learn about other, um, other passive income generating <laughs> um, opportunities. Yeah. I mean, we have like a lot of guys in our hui that were, you know, general dentists and they were all out of the job and yet they were the ones gone through life in resident or all the, their training thinking that everybody's going to need their teeth clean from hell or high water but well boy were they wrong but i mean at the end of the day it's uh, like multiple streams of income is what reigns supreme right and there's no guarantee in anything right so like <laughs> yeah 
but um let's so you have one last thing here i wanted to get to you have um you you're in a place in life where you're not you know you're not accredited yet in terms of net worth Mm-hmm. but you're going to be there very quickly. And I like how you kind of like, you have some bigger goals, right? That are kind of bigger than yourself where you want to build enough wealth to build a new medical school at your alma mater. Maybe talk to us about how that idea came about and uh, how, how kind of you're pulling yourself to that goal. Well, like for me, like personal experience, um, I, I went to college on a full scholarship. So when I graduated from college, I didn't have any debt, but, when I went to med school, um, I had to take out like a significant amount of student loans, like more than $200,000, even though I went to a public school in California. And um, it just really, it's been, you know, weighing down heavily on my chest. Like I always feel like I have an elephant sitting on my chest and a lot of doctors come out of their training. So um, like I said, you know, my, my medical school going going to medical school i had to take out a lot of student loans and coming out of training i always felt this heaviness in my chest um with that debt burden of debt and um and then the lack of financial education so um i i really want to contribute to the society by um utilizing my knowledge of um business investment to um starting a medical school that focused on integrative medicine, but also like on business and investing education so that the future doctors can, you know, they're not only good clinicians, but also really savvy business investors too. So what's, um, how much money are you going to need for that? Or what's the, what's the plan timeline? Make that happen. Yeah, well, in the next 10 years, I, I, you know, want to, build wealth through doing real estate and mostly like passive syndications and then also network with other high net worth people and collaborate. So it, it'll be about uh, at least a hundred million dollars to do that project of um, building a new medical school and also want to make it very uh, tuition free for all the students who get accepted. So um, I'll have to have like a scholarship foundation as well, which is like a nonprofit. So once I have a, you know, a nice, um, vehicle of money making more money every year that can be a lasting legacy that you know continues on and on even after i die you know i can hire people who can carry on the legacy i mean if if i have a goal like that that will keep me motivated to keep um pushing through all the hardships and challenges in life right <laughs> right right and you know kind of i'm very similar just different you know different end goal i don't want to make a medical facility but i would rather I, i'm trying to create like a financial education program that's more free and affordable for you know working professionals mm-hmm. the llc is called fi for the worthy you know financial independence is not for everyone but i kind of want to bring it to the the working financially responsible masses so yeah i mean exactly what you're doing you know trying to put my own oxygen mask on for for now um pretty much there but, um, you know, you, you need capital to make these big dreams happen, right? Um, right. So, so for me, maybe, maybe a few more years, maybe five, ten more years to get myself up to that point where I'm set up personally. And then um, maybe in the next year or two, I start the nonprofit LLC. I know you're a little familiar with that, but, um, yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. I mean, the, that's really how big things happen and how money can grow tax-free there's so many benefits of being a nonprofit, mm-hmm. and 
it's all predicated, of course, you using that money for good, right? Not just personally benefiting from it. But if you have some bigger dream that nonprofit is the way to go, but of course, um, you know, there's definitely going to be some learning lessons down the road, but I'll, you know, let, let you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're both, um, I mean, we have, uh, uh, I mean, tax advisors and um, CPAs who, who are really, um, they specialize in, you know, real estate investing and then setting up these business entities and nonprofit organizations to protect you from, from having to pay too much income taxes. Right. So I think that helps to, you know, legally minimize income taxes and you can you know, generate more profit and then um, use that money towards investing in more income producing assets and go from there. So um, I think we're all learning right now. <laughs> right. And, and if you guys want to, um, I have a little working page on this whole concept of a nonprofit at simplepassivecashflow.com slash legacy. It has a whole a list of things on there that um, the benefits to having a nonprofit, you know, like, I'm just kind of reading some of them real quick. I just looked it up. Actually, I don't have it up. But like things like you, until you look for it, like you don't realize how many like tax benefits nonprofits have. And that really helps you grow your money unrestricted to kind of do these bigger, bigger things. Mm -hmm. But Miss um, Kim, um, anything else you want to talk about or I think we're good for now? Uh, do you have any um, recommended resources to, uh, for me to keep... Uh... Uh, expanding my network you know I, I need to I mean in order to get to where I want to be quicker and faster I need to leverage you know good people right good network and people with the, the knowledge the, the skills and then people who have already have good networks with. yeah I mean like the like the best thing that my guidance for that is like you got to start with the right people right so people with money and going to the local RIA and you know a lot of the free internet forums out there we all know those websites are some of the worst places to go because they're just the cheapskates that are trying to get rich get rich quick i mean i've i've been fortunate to do this podcast where i just attracted you know all these passive and high net worth passive accredited investors and i find the ones that are kind of thinking the same way as us and you know they join my passive investor accelerator mastermind yeah, maybe we can, I mean, we can work out something. I mean, as a current investor in the Hui Club, you know, we can talk offline about that. But for other people listening in, you know, that's, that's kind of the option, right? Like you can either fly, I mean, I did it for years, right? You go to all these silly, like real estate conferences and you just find it's a big pitch fest mm -hmm. with people on the stage. They're really not that proven. It's just like, there's all these internet sensations overnight in real estate and you start to realize that you, you go there and you meet, you meet a lot of cool people, you have some cool drinks, but like you, you, you go home with like a dozen um, business cards and it never, never formulates to anything. Right? And you wasted like a thousand dollars on the conference, another thousand dollars on the hotel and food and all your time you spent and you wasted that, you, know, you only have so many vacation days. I mean, you really have to be selective. I mean, you know, I would I would invite you out to like the Hui Mastermind that we have once a year in January. Um, January? The last, yeah, the last thing we did was um, you can check out the video at simplepassivecashflow.com slash Hui3. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the okay. next one will be called Hui4. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, just I try and cultivate a group of like high quality, genuine people, you know, that have you know, bigger goals outside themselves. So it's a good community. And, um, you know, we kind of 
we kind of play watchdog out for each other. But that'd be my suggestion. Yeah, I mean, other than that, you know, other you know, other options are going to the country club or I know some guys they go to like the cigar room and they kind of rub shoulders with high net worth people. But the problem there is you're meeting with a lot of second, third generation wealth, right? Like you and I are first generation wealth. We're kind of building this legacy now. We didn't, nothing really got given to us. So it's just a, a different mindset there. A very um, narrow band of people you're trying to find. Yeah. yeah thanks for um, doing this. Maybe we can uh, do, do a little check-in the next uh, year or two. You're probably in a lot different place. I mean, you'll probably be very wealthy the next three years you kind of keep hitting on this trajectory we'll see how it goes like i well i do want to attempt to sell these uh rental properties that i have so that i have more cash and more liquidity to kind of jump into the good um, syndication deals in the next um few months or so so yeah. keep me in the loop please okay okay This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.